We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com, Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Today is April 23rd, and we're going to take a one-episode break from going through these draft prospects, try and stretch it out a little bit. I'm joined again via Zoom by Charlie Johnson. Charlie, what are we going to do today? We're going to talk about Malik Beasley. It feels like the Timberwolves kind of dropped into our lives with a, pre- with a press conference for the first time in a while, so we might as well take a break from the draft talk to talk about Malik Beasley. Yeah, I thought it was uh, it was our first time yesterday doing a, a press conference via Zoom with a player. And Malik was Malik was great. I was like, oh, I don't know, this might be kind of awkward. Like, I don't, you know, what's really going on? And then, um, but he he's a he's a pretty like uh, easy you know easy to talk to sort of dude. Um, and I mean, initially kind of talked about what uh, you know what he's been doing during you know this break this this time off. But but also it's cool. I thought to kind of like you know he he was open to discussing basketball and Gerson Rosas was on the call, open to you know kind of you know talking about. Really, Gerson, I thought it was noteworthy that he was referring to like Beasley, D'Lo, and Cat kind of as the three guys in the, you know, the young core. And, you know, not to take, you know, put too many words in his mouth, but it, it, it kind of, you know, it kind of had that feel. And, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I thought just, just having him kind of talk about playing with those two guys and, you know, just openly acknowledge that, like, yeah, I'm a free agent, but I'm, a, you know, you know, excited to see what's next and, you know, control what I can kind of control. So, I mean, we can get into it a little bit more. I, I shared with you the transcript. Did anything pop out to you? Um, no, not, nothing about the tr- like what was said stood out to me. It was obviously really sad to hear that also a member of Malik, Malik's family passed away because of COVID-19. Um, you know, but nothing more uh, around the basketball talk stood out to me. What stood out to me, though, was just that 
this was super random. Like, why, why this press conference? Why right now? I guess maybe that's because of Carl's mom. But and then like, why Malik? He is a free agent, like you said. Like, it's interesting, and maybe it says something about the likelihood of him returning. Just that he was the one player on this press conference yesterday, and maybe there's something I'm missing. No, I, I think there's something to that. Like, I mean, we've kind of. I think the assumption of you know the collective, you know, Wolves brain has been that it is likely that Malik returns. And I think by no means him becoming made available for the media guarantees that he's, you know, coming back. But it kind of, it's another like kind of kernel in that corner of like, yeah, I mean, they, I mean, Gerson said on the call, like, we really like Malik, you know, the, it's the, it's going to be a whole, I mean, we'll get into this. It's going to be a whole can of worms, like what the free agent market even looks like when free agency even is that they're going to have to dig into that time. But it does, I, I think it's fair to glean that it, it suggests that the Wolves are for sure going to be negotiating with Malik in good faith and Malik with the Wolves in good faith of like, you know, wanting, you know, wanting to make this happen. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll see, kind of cross that bridge when they get there, but like acknowledging that the bridge is there, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So, so I think just in kind of reflecting on Malik over the past 24 hours, and I wrote something about him yesterday on the site was just that it seems like so much of the narrative or the thought process around him has been about what is his contract, you know? And we've done that. You know, we've talked about that. I've sit around at Wolves games before the season was shut down and, you know, we're kind of shooting the shit at the media table, like, oh, what do you think? It's like 12, 15, 18, whatever it is. And I think that kind of glosses over, like, kind of the point, right? Like, just because he averaged 21 points a game, five rebounds and two assists and shot 43% from three, like, that just doesn't just lead to an algebra equation that equals X amount of dollars, you know? Mm-hmm. There, there's, there's more layers to it. There's the... um there's the concept of how we fit next to the players on the team, the concept of how we fit within the system. And I think we really brushed over so much of that because we're like, okay, cat's out. So what even is this? Is this just preseason? Like cat Delo and Beasley didn't get to play together, but one game. So what even matters? And really the, what I landed on and going back to watch Malik's play is he played a ton with D'Angelo Russell. And that means a lot that yeah. those, that those two have shared the floor and relative to the team being bad, they were successful with those two on the floor. So I thought that meant something. Yeah, I know. I think it absolutely does. And I think you, you make a good point about it always having been about free agency since, I mean, since the day that the Timberwolves traded for Malik Beasley, because that was kind of the whole interesting thing about the trade was that they had gotten these guys, Beasley and Hernan Gomez, but especially, you know, Beasley kind of being the more, notable one who were going to be restricted free agents and so that was kind of what the timberwolves were were buying with that trade was the option to re-sign them this off season so since that's kind of been i mean that was like the post-trade analysis that was what people would have brought up so that's just been the topic of conversation since day one but yeah no you're right and it was good to see malik beasley and and d'angelo russell play a lot together and I, i you know i thought it there was a lot of exciting stuff there but there's also probably you know enough to to have a good conversation about how much that that fit makes sense in the long term yeah and i think there's a couple different ways to do it um we can just kind of take the the pure statistical route and i kind of mentioned that 
Russell's best two-man pairing since he came to Minnesota was with Beasley, and Beasley's best two-man pairing was with Russell. So, you know, to, to pop like that to some degree in 14 games, that that's noteworthy. Um, but then you, you kind of peel back the next level and you go, oh, it was elite offense and poor defense. Um, and I think that was kind of it, you know, kind of expected too. But um, I thought particularly offensively, you know, <laughs> start with the positives before hitting the negatives. Um, and re- really the past 24 hours going back and watching some of this, it was just so clear that like Malik and D'Lo were just playing off of each other. Mm-hmm. That there wasn't there wasn't like an offense, you know, and I'm not yeah. that's not a rip on Saunders. They just didn't even know. Like there'd be these times where D'Lo would be like, "Oh, oh, you're going now," or I, "You you have it on this sort of," play. you know, just kind of that like, quite frankly, like when you're playing pickup and you haven't yeah. played with this guy before, and you're like, "I'm a point guard." Oh, you're a point guard too. Like <laughs> there was a, the, just that that whole sort of I guess dichotomy. But I think that can like all things considered that the offense was still able to find success and that those two were to find, you know, some common ground. Uh, that's, that's a good, I think that's a good sign for you know the offensive trajectory of this backcourt. If, if Beasley stays. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I feel like even though, like you said, there was a lot of like my turn, your turn, a little bit of ISO ball. It also seemed like, at the same time, there was chemistry between those two guys right away. And it, and it was apparent on the floor and it, you know, it bears out in the numbers. And that's exciting because, you know, if you think about it, there really are a, an awesome offensive fit together. Like watching them for 14 games, it was it was kind of a treat to be able to see a backcourt of two guys who can just, you know, not only just get a bucket for themselves at any time, but also, you know, shoot eight three-pointers a game and make darn near 40% of them because the Timberwolves haven't had one player like that in a while. I mean, unless you count like, Derek Rose for a while, um, but they haven't had a backcourt like that in a long time, and that that's just plain fun to watch on the offensive end. What kind of stood out to me is that I don't think I remembered was that a lot of the synergy was instigated by D'Angelo. I think that's a credit to him, an expectation of a point guard, but um, but really just watching the actions over and over again, he was very intentional about pulling the defense away from Malik so as to so as to swing it back to him. He was cognizant of even if it wasn't a scripted play of like an idea of what Malik is going to be doing. And and I think like I'm not trying to crown Delo as like a elite point guard or anything like that, but it it made me feel better about his feel to you know to the game and to leading an offense and that's going to be I don't want to say a burden but that's going to be something that D'Angelo's really going to be responsible for navigating with Beasley, who's going to want to get his shots off next year, and Cat, who's going to deserve to get you know his shots off too. Um, so obviously that's a whole like whole different game board once you once you put Cat out there. But but to see D'Lo kind of acknowledge that, yeah, all right. Malik's trying to get his point so he can get paid and I'm going to be, I'm going to be cool with that and just kind of like not need to play selfish whatsoever. I really, I really think it's a good sign that, that D'Lo was like kind of doing what was best for the team. And, and really, I don't think that his play was selfish. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the volume numbers, but I don't, I don't see him to have been, have been selfish in that time. And I really think Beasley benefited from that. I, I totally agree. And maybe that, 
I mean, probably certainly speaks to where those two players are at relative to their, you know, first big pay raise. D'Angelo Russell just yeah. got his and Malik Beasley hasn't gotten his yet. I'm curious, you know, if, if the Timberwolves lock Malik Beasley up on a, a three or four year deal, just how different do you think his game looks next year than it did for 14 games last year? Or do you think it doesn't look different? I think it looks different. I, I, I will say it was, it was real that he was hunting for his. Yeah. yeah. Like, and he got, <laughs> and he got him. yeah. Look, so, okay. So if, if I have to say the three things, you know, that, that stood out when I was watching all of Malik's offensive possessions, it was like one, in my notes, I wrote down this dude's trying to score every possession Two, yeah. this dude never misses. And three, D'Angelo seems to understand points one and points two, and yeah. it, it was working. And but one is concerning once you bring Cat back into the picture, and I think I think confidence is a huge part of what makes Malik successful. It's what made him, I think, what made him successful, and I think it's that confidence kind of starting to waver with a with kind of a more limited role in Denver is why he he struggled a little bit this season but how that confidence and you know belief that Malik has that he's really damn good in his own head what is that balance going to be when he's playing with arguably you know a top 3 most efficient offensive player in the league in Cat and it's it's a it's a bummer to, to not be able to see that, you know, to, to speak the obvious here, but um, I don't know. I, I go back and forth from in my mind thinking that ah, Malik's going to take on too much bandwidth next year. And then two of like, well, I also see him doing things that are the smart play, the right read, trying to, you know, trying to do what's best for the team. So I don't, I don't, I guess I don't have an answer yet. And maybe that, of course, like how, how could we, but um, I think it could go either way. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I don't think it's like that con- concerning either way, because I think you probably do like you're alluding to want him to be a little bit less of a gunner. I mean, ideally if Carl Anthony Towns is healthy and D'Angelo Russell is healthy as well. And I think he's got a skill set on the offensive end where he can take on more of that tertiary role and just shoot even more threes and kind of like flip that, like the proportion of where his shots are coming from, you know, nudge that a little bit more toward more of them coming from the three point line and, and, you know, still attacking the rim when he can, but just, you know, kind of handling the ball less and initiating offense a little less often. I feel like he has a skill set to handle that, but if you're paying him based off of the 14 games that he played, with the Timberwolves last year and then expecting that kind of a player and that kind of a role, you know, there might be other problems that arise from that. Yeah, I I think so. It's going to depend like if whatever that dollar figure is, and we can get to that later for that to really be a value, you know, not to make it too simple, but the, this three point shooting volume and effectiveness, um, needs to probably not be a mirage. It needs, he needs to be. And I, you know, I think to, to your credit, I remember one of the first pods we did um, after, after they acquired Malik, you were like, Hey, have you like considered the possibility that Malik is just one of the best shooters in the NBA? Like, you're like, is this like a JJ Redick? Is this like a, you know, a buddy healed or, or something like that? And 
I, I think when you brought that up, it, it opened my eyes to that. And I, I maybe it kind of turned that off because this year in Denver, before he came to Minnesota, like his shooting numbers, I mean, it was like 36% from three. And if you kind of break yeah. it down spot by spot, it, it wasn't elite. But you were like, all right, look, look at what this volume is, what he's doing in Minnesota. And then I think the reference point to make is he did that last year, 2018-19 in Denver, where he was shooting more than half of his shots from three and making 40% of them. And Mm -hmm. it's like, I mean, what, (laughs) at some point, like how much, how much do you have to lay down (laughs) of super high volume three point shooting at 40% to be considered one of the best shooters in the league? So yeah, he might be, Uh, there. he might be. It is interesting. You like just kind of glance at his basketball reference page and just look at the three point percentages and you go, yeah, like his, his first two years, he's at like 33%. And then, you know, at the beginning part of 2019-20, he was he was down, like you were saying. But both of the, you know, seasons or stretches of seasons where he's had really high volume, the 2018-19 season, and then this chunk of games with the Timberwolves, he's been 40% or above. And so if you look at his, his overall shooting stats, he's, he's shot almost 800 three-point attempts at 39%. Yeah. And interestingly, I mean... I I remember I was looking at the same basketball reference page one day during the season, and I saw that he was right over 750 attempts, which I know smarter people than me have found statistically is sort of where your three-point shooting ability will, will level off. There will be like you know, less variance to your percentage. And so I went back and looked, and I dug up this super arbitrary stat that I tweeted out a while ago. But I went back and looked and noticed that um, Malik Beasley also shot 38% on high volume three point attempts in college. Mm. So I looked up the last six players to shoot 38% of 100 three point attempts as freshmen in college, and then 38% of their first 750 NBA three point attempts. So it's like kind of a wacky list, but like no. young players who have hit a pretty decent threshold and high volume. And it's a crazy list of shooters. It's Malik Beasley, Doug McDermott, CJ McCollum, Steph Curry. Ryan Anderson and JJ Reddick. It's like all the best shooters. Yeah, that's a good stat. Yeah, <laughs> you should. It you, is Malik's agent. Give that to Ron Paul, Rich Paul. Yeah, <laughs> should do, or don't. No, yeah, or don't. I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, no. But for real, like I, I think I don't remember if this was on the pod, but when we were talking about it, I was like, "Oh, damn!" Like that. I think you're onto something, and I think what what turned my brain off from that really being something I considered without the stats is you list off those dudes, those other dudes on the list. And I think of them as just pure, like just watching them shoot, like clean, pure shooters, quick, like, you know, moving to the right, moving to the left. And, you know, I, I watched Malik's, you know, threes from Denver when he, you know, was coming in and, you know, a a handful of, of his threes. And I see a mechanical type of shooter Mm -hmm. and, I think it's it's weird. I mean it's not bad to be a mechanical type of shooter, but like I, I more sort of think of that in the like uh, you know like Shane Battier sit, sitting in the corner, PJ Tucker like locked up in you know, robot. robot mode, just like yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know just hitting it. And and Malik like he clearly has the footwork, but then but then he has like an upper body like the upper body mechanics that are a little bit more robotic. Um, that again I I don't think are a, are a, a bad thing. But it's a little bit of a departure from my like image in my head of what an of what an elite shooter is. Yeah, no, I mean, 
I agree with that. And maybe there's something to like, he's not totally 100% Steph Curry because Steph yeah. Curry wasn't just barely over 38% on his first 753 point attempts. Sure. Like, so maybe he's not the sixth best three point shooter like of the last five years. But if he can be one of those upper, toward the upper echelon three point shooters on really high volume, that's just, we know how, how valuable that is in the NBA today. We also know how valuable that is to the Timberwolves even more so. Right. And and I think about, you, you named Ryan Anderson on there, which proved to be a bad contract. Mm-hmm. But but like what, I'm pretty sure Ryan Anderson signed a four-year $80 million deal, right? Does that sound right? Like four, yeah. five years ago? Yeah, maybe like a little less than 80, but yeah, something like something that. Like that. And, and so that's on a smaller cap. Mm-hmm. But that's just being paid to I mean he was just being paid to be an elite shooter. And you mm-hmm. would assume that that was his market rate, like he was a free agent. That's what Houston paid him. I mean Gerson Rosas was in that front office. Like, what year was that? So Was um, it 2016 or was it 2015? Yeah, it might have been. Okay. It might have been the It might have been 2016. Be, might have so so be people are getting only, paid. That'd be the only uh but still, so so yeah. what do we do? Like hack off, you know, hack sure, hack off twenty five percent of it. That's still fifteen million, right? And mm-hmm. and Ryan Anderson, I mean, I don't know. Maybe somebody who watched remembers more of Ryan, Ryan Anderson would argue with me here. But I think Ryan Anderson's like value is pretty much just like he's an elite shooter and he can do it from well beyond the line. I don't know yeah, yeah. if he brought much more to the game than that. And you know, with Malik. Like he does. Oh, we'll get to. I mean, we can we can transition into his defense, but but like there, there there's multiple levels to his game, and and it's not just three point shooting. And I think a, a really encouraging sign. And I I don't want to just list off all the stats on a podcast, but I tweeted this out. His his shot frequency and effectiveness from every range over the past two years, Denver and Minnesota, kind of you know broken down for that. And yeah, what's really encouraging is he got back up to an, a, a really high level at the rim, which is what mm-hmm. made him very good in 2018-19. And, and he also, his, his three-point shooting rebounded well. But one thing that was really solid every step of the past two years, 2018-19, or first half of the season in Denver, and then second half of the season in Minnesota, like every time he was a good mid-range shooter. Yep. And, and I remember like one of the, his first, first media availabilities, I asked him you know, about that, being like, Hey, you know, like this is team, whatever they're like last in, you know, mid range frequency. That's been like a, you know, it's been a pretty like integral part of your game. Like, you know, what's kind of, how do you feel that that, you know, helps you? And, or like, do you think that's something you'll be continuing to do? And he's like, you know, I, I get the question. He's like, but for me, being the threat from the mid range is what makes me be able to, you know, to have, you know, have the shot at the rim, which, which I think we see, right? Like, can't you envision that in your head where he kind of has yep. that hesitation dribble at 15 feet guy comes up and he blow you the big comes up, he blows by him. Or I also think about it. Like he, he doesn't have like the, the hardened step back, but he kind of has that thing where he'd take like a, like a two foot shuffle back into a three, but really mm-hmm. it's like the, the epicenter of his offensive action. A lot of the time, like the inflection point is the mid range. You know what I'm saying? So I, I agree with him there. And, yeah. and it's a weapon that if he can be doing that at like, so he was 44% for mid range, 18, 19, he was 48% before he came to Minnesota this year, mid range. And then he was 
in in Minnesota in in the 14 games. And obviously, it's not like a, it's not a high volume of of the sample at all, but but that makes sense to me. And I think that I think that is encouraging. And it, it goes to the point that he is it can be more than Ryan Anderson offensively for sure, where he can put pressure on all three levels of the floor. Yeah, no, totally. I, I agree with that. There is obviously more to, to Malik Beasley's game. And I thought those were interesting splits to see that you tweeted out also, because I think that kind of, if you're the Timberwolves and you're going to sign Malik Beasley long-term, obviously what you're hoping for is that the, the, the Malik Beasley in 2018, 19 with, with the nuggets on higher volume was real. And then that was more of what he looked like during those 14 games with the Wolves last year. And then that will be, you know, the trajectory he continues on next year. And if you look at his efficiency, yeah, maybe with the Wolves last year, he shot almost 43% from three. Like maybe that's not quite sustainable. Maybe he's more an upper thirties, three point shooter. But if he can like, you know, I like seeing that none of his, true shooting percentage, his effectiveness in each of those areas wasn't like way higher than it was in 2018, 19 or way higher than it had, than it had been during other portions of other seasons, because it just makes you feel like nothing about what he did was, was unsustainable except for maybe the three point shooting. But then you look at the mid range and you think, well, maybe he can be better. And I mean, he had darn near a 60% was 60% true shooting last year. And same with in 2018, 19. So if you can have, you know, three offensive players in D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley and Carl Anthony Towns who can like, you know, tick up near that 60% true shooting metric or even over it in the case of Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, which, yeah, it isn't like that isn't an outlandish idea. Like they've all done it. And that's a high, yeah. it's a high bar for those who aren't like familiar with true shooting. Absolutely. No, totally. I mean, and that's an efficient offense. Yeah. Like in and of itself, it almost doesn't matter what, the fourth, yeah. fourth, fifth, and sixth guy is um, obviously you know that's the that's the good that's this is that's the encouraging part um, of this podcast is the offense, but um, you know the 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 defense we know is it's just the question like that that's um, you know that's the elephant in the room. It it always even before you know Malik and these guys came here, it was the elephant in the room, and I thought it was just really encouraging on that that Zoom call. For, for Malik to take multiple questions being asked about the defense and acknowledge it that like, yes, I am not good enough at that. I need to, that's where I need to improve. Um, and, and to say, and he also said that it's mental, that that is what, what he needs to be working on. And I was like, damn, thank you. Like, I'm so sick of excuses about the defense with this team. I mean, you go back to Thibodeau, his first year there, and it's, oh, it's the youth. It's the youth of the team, which, okay, yeah, it's, it's the youth of the team, but you're also 27th in defense that year, and you're Tom Thibodeau, right? Like, you can't do that. Then you get Butler the next year, and and you blame it on and you blame the fact that you're 25th in defense on execution. We're not playing on a string. We're not playing on a string. Well, it's like, okay, you're you're, you're still 25th, and then and then you go and then you go to last year, you know, where where after Ryan took over, I mean, the the blame was projected onto the injuries, and and all those like all those quote unquote justifications are like somewhat validated, but. But it's like, okay, Tibbs, you were 27th your first year. Tibbs, you were 25th your, 25th your second year. Ryan, you were 27th when you took over. And then this year, they're, you know, they're 21st. So it's like, yeah, you have excuses, but you're also just bad at defense. Like straight up. Yeah. And, and like, 
that's okay. You know, that's okay. And I, I keep thinking about this, and this is a weird like pivot to take, but you know what I love about Ben Simmons is he says, I'm not good at shooting yet, but I think yep. it's going to come. And it's something I'm working on, and it's something I acknowledge is a weakness, and I'm going to address it. And Malik, in a much you know smaller sort of vein, or definitely to a smaller microphone, is saying that about his defense. <laughs> and it's exactly what the other two best players on this team need to do. Totally. They need to acknowledge, yeah. name the deficiency, and work on it as a collective I, group. I, I absolutely agree. And uh, honestly, it was like, it's just a slight difference, too, because... Carl Anthony Towns has been asked about it a lot. Andrew Wiggins, you know, talked about it a lot when he was around. All of them have, but what they would always say is, and, and they might even address it, like, yeah, we're bad, we're bad at defense. But that's what they'd say is, we're bad at defense. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think was so, agree, was encouraging about what Malik Beasley said was, I'm bad at defense, which I think is like, it's such a big difference because it's like taking totally. personal ownership of it. It's not like, yeah, as a collective, we're bad and we really got to work on it. And, you know, we've got a lot, a long way to go and a lot to learn. He's like, no, I'm bad at defense. And if I get better at defense, that will help the team as a whole. I think that's just not to get like too like human and psychological with it. But it's like, if you, if there's something wrong with you, Charlie, like you got to name what's wrong in your life. Like that, that you need to, you know, that you need to correct. Or yeah. if I have something that, you know, that I want, I want to improve my diet or I want to improve my exercise, you know, like you need to name it and you need to act on it. It's yeah. like you could sign, you could sign up to run a marathon, but you got to train for the marathon, you know? And, and it's just like, I'm quite frankly, I'm just like sick of it with the defense of like, no more like next year, like whatever you, you, you ran out all your excuses and you know, this past year and a half, they did have fair excuses with injuries. We're a mess. This team, a million different dudes have played for this team. Like I get it. But like, if you got that group together next year and you, you know, you, and you add another rookie or trade or free agent or something to this group and you got the cat deal Beasley core. And, and if you suck at defense again, like no more excuses, it's like, it's time. Yeah. No, I, I don't think there are any excuses, period. I mean, I just think that they're a bad defensive team. They're like, you know, Cat and D'Lo are, are 24 now, which isn't at all to say that they can't get better at defense because I think that they can. But that's just to say that they're not they're not babies anymore. They're mm-hmm. bad at defense as a team and they're bad at defense as individuals. And now the, the way for them forward is obviously just to creep it forward. Like it's hard unless Carl Anthony Towns all of a sudden becomes a stopper. It's hard to imagine something happening where there's like boom a good defense. Like I don't know who that one free agent is that comes in and makes them the seventh ranked defense in the NBA. So I think it's just going to be about incremental improvement each year or each couple of months. And I think that the only way they do that is if they all embrace the kind of mindset Malik Beasley seems to be. The the thing is, is the 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 issues that Carl has to improve upon and the path to improvement is very similar to Malik. It's not a physical shortcoming, you mm-hmm. know. Like Malik, Malik has the athleticism. I mean, he said that you can read the quotes in my article. Like he said, I have you know I have the physicality. It's it's the commitment to the mental you know to the mental element of it, and that's what for Carl. Like that's it's the same thing. Like Carl is athletic enough, is big enough to be. A, a high level rim defender or at least an above average one. And so is Malik. I think to me, I think D'Angelo's in a different group. I don't think he's the, he has the athleticism of those sort of guys. Like he could turn, he could flip the mental switch and it would still be like 
there would still be shortcomings. I just think physically. Um, but like, if Malik does it, there's a blueprint for Carl. Yeah. In a weird way. I know they play different sort of positions, but the task is the same. You know what I'm saying? Well, and if Malik does it, I mean, Carl should already be looking at all this. Like, how the hell am I not at least a decent defender? And if Malik does it, it should be like, wow, if he can do it, then I really should be able to do it. Because I think Carl has the, you know, like the literal, the physical makeup of it even more than Malik does. Cause I think Malik does like have some, he's not that big. Like yeah. he really benefit from being a few inches taller and a few inches longer and like a few inches more bulk. He's definitely fast and quick and explosive, but like he's not the pristine athlete that Carl is. Not that Carl is yeah. perfect, but like he should be able to be good. No, I, I think that, I think that is a good point. Like Carl, Carl's not like massive, you know, he's like a lot smaller yeah. than Rudy Gobert, but he, I mean, he is blessed with good feet, good, you know, good footwork and, and he's big enough to play center in this league, you know, and you're right to, with Malik, Malik's like six, four, six, seven wingspan, like one, I mean like one eighty five. like he's, yeah. he's not, he's not a big dude. So like, even if he does, you know, flip the mental switch, he's still going to probably get beaten up by big wings yeah. in the league. Whereas like Carl, you know, there shouldn't really be that many dudes that he can't just like handle from a, from a physical standpoint. So I don't know. That was just kind of really, I don't know if epiphany is the right word to make, but I'm, you know, I'm reading through those quotes. I said, I'm like, damn, this is exactly like, I, I, I just, I want, well, one, I want Malik to actually, you know, mean it and that actually be, you know, work doing this stuff and saying mm -hmm. what he's, you know, saying what he's doing, what he's saying. And then for also, you know, Carl to like embrace that mentality and, and for them to both be okay with the fact that like, it's okay to not be perfect at everything. Mm -hmm. That's how you get better. That's how you get mm -hmm. better at things. Like it's all right. Malik's 23, Kat's 24. Like, yeah, you're right. They probably are close to what they're going to be physically. But the reason guys hit their primes when they're 27 it's not because that's necessarily when they hit their athletic prime. It's when yeah. they hit this, like the crossroads of being at an athletic prime and a mental basketball IQ prime. And yeah, I just think that those, those two guys can and should be able to get there together. And, you know, and then hopefully Tiancho is like kind of paying attention to. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And I mean, I don't have like, a huge level of confidence that Malik is going to become like a super plus defender. I mean, I think he can become a better one. And I just think it's important to hark on the fact that like, if this is sort of a certainty that the Timberwolves are going to re-sign Malik Beasley, and if there's a really good chance that that means chewing up like a lot of their cap space for the foreseeable future, then it's really important that he does become a solid defender because if he's, a bad defender and D'Angelo Russell, you know, doesn't have that much hope of becoming a good defender. Like that's really hard. You're just, you've, you've cut off a good chunk of your ceiling by having your, your, your front court or your back court be that bad defensively. So I just think it's really important because we talk about Malik Beasley's future here as if it's pretty certain, because I think that that's like, there's a, at least a good chance that he's back, but I do think it's important to mention that that's not like, it's not a perfect fit. The Russell yep. and Beasley, even though it's a really good fit on the offensive end, there's potential to be a really bad fit on the defensive end. And if Beasley doesn't at least get to a point where he can like passively defend a good number of point guards to the point where you can kind of comfortably put D'Angelo on like the wing on that team that sucks, 
mm-hmm. then it's going to be hard. No, I think that's a good point. Let's uh, let's do let's do the the cap space thing. Let's do that. Let's let's talk yeah. about the let's talk about the contract because you're right. That that is like I don't think anybody out there is saying, oh yeah, like. We got everyone's saying we got to bring Malik back, right? Mm-hmm. And the reality of the situation, the reality of any sort of business or market transaction, is there is a point where that is not a good idea. Like, if if there was no salary cap and Cat requested seventy five percent of the salary cap, that would not be a good idea. You would need to let him walk. Same with LeBron. Like, whatever. Yeah. You know. So so there's this, there is this line to walk here with Malik. The thing is. Is that it does the reason I think that we're bought into the fact that it is going to happen is it does seem reasonable that they'll be able to find a mutually agreeable rate. And yeah. and the the point that I just I can't undersell enough or oversell is just that this market is super messed up this summer. Like it already was going to be no nope, pre coronavirus, like six teams were going to have cap space. Rare because it's just this weird point in time where everybody's like been looking ahead, setting themselves up for the 2021 offseason. And there's just there's a hundred. If we take it right now, the cap doesn't drop. There's one hundred and seventy eight million dollars of cap space out there to six teams. Now, if the cap does drop, let's say say it drops by eight million you know, per team. Now we're down to one hundred and thirty million dollars in cap space available if we're trying to, if you're trying to say that Malik Beasley is quote unquote worth fifteen million a year, you are saying that he is worth like twelve percent of the total cap space available. And now we don't know, we don't know what the exact cap is going to be and all those sort of different things. But Malik, for him personally, is in a bad situation to negotiate a contract here because the market is working against him. Totally. I, I... And weirdly, I mean, I think that's really true. And weirdly, I think it's like huge for the Timberwolves. Like, if yeah. it, they need to be able to get, in my opinion, they need to be able to get Malik Beasley on a contract that has a good chance of becoming a value deal. Because, you know, Gerson Rosas, like, it's cool that he he has Malik Beasley at this press conference and talks about Cat, D'Angelo Russell, and Malik Beasley as a big three, like, that's flattering and cool. And I really like Malik Beasley. And I think most Timberwolves fans do, but at the same time, now we're having a podcast where we're talking about that quote unquote big three and like, yeah, they're young, but again, not that young. We're talking about them having like the upside of making the playoffs. Like, so both all these guys have to get better and they all have to be on contracts that aren't crazy. And I think certainly Carl Anthony Towns' contract isn't crazy. And D'Angelo Russell's, is borderline might be so i think you just got to get malik beasley on a contract that you feel like is a value and in a weird way all of this craziness making that more likely is kind of a good thing for the wolves no it's it's huge man i mean like yeah we can a timberwolves fan can individually really like cat can individually really like delo and maybe even you know like delo so much that you're like yeah for, he's worth a a maximum contract like you can believe that and and you can like Malik Beasley too and still that quote unquote big 3 might not be good enough to even make the playoffs so what needs to happen because those are the cards you dealt the cat and deal cards you already have those in your hand you've got to maximize you know 
the re- the other five cards in your your you know your 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 hand, right? And yeah, so totally. so so value is going to be critical to find along the way. And you know, I'll give the front office credit. They by trading one of the two first round picks they got for Robert Covington, the the lesser of the two first round picks. They got back both Malik Beasley and Wancho Hernan Gomez going into a summer where the market is going to be way in their favor. They're restricted free agents who can go out and set their own market rate, and the Wolves then have the option, the right of first refusal to say, no, we'll, we'll, we will match that contract. Like that, The Wolves are in a freaking awesome negotiating stamp, negotiation standpoint for that deal, and... And that is how you start rounding out your deck better and better. And now, like, I mean, particularly if you're playing 3D chess and, like, you want to say, you know, somewhere down the road and maybe Malik Beasley takes off and they signed him to a $13 million a year deal and he ends up looking like a $23 million a year player. Like, that's huge. That's huge from just a value on your team or that's huge from a trade asset sort of standpoint. So it, it, really, it really is, like... You know, one step at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time, one roster decision at a time. But they're in a really good place to make a good decision in free agency this summer. Yeah, no, I think that's totally true. Do you have any sort of sense or feeling about how this is all going to play out with the Wolves and Malik? Like, do you have a a number in mind? Do you think they get a a long-term deal done before he, he goes past the market? So, whenever I ask around about it, the first thing that comes up is people say, Clutch. Yeah. <laughs> He's represented totally. by Clutch. Yep. And, like, Clutch, they're not going to, they're, they're not going to take the like supply and demand chart that the Timberwolves front office is going to put in front of them and where, the Timberwolves are like, there's only a 130.1. What I just did. There's only 130.1 million dollars available in the market, and we, you know, this is like decreased to your level. Like they're not going to have that. They're going to do everything they possibly can to treat Malik like he is a 2021 free agent, where there will be a robust robust market for him that will drive up his demand and overall price tag. So it's so hard to know because now we become, if that's the if that's the game that Clutch is trying to play. Then the wolves have to decide, you know, how much do we want to counter back? How much are we negotiating in good faith? Like that that's part of you know, that's part of the battle. That's part of the reality of restricted free agency. I mean, we know this in historical situations. There's a reason that teams typically come to an agreement before the restricted free agent process where they go out in the market because bad blood often comes together during those times. And like Clutch, Clutch is probably going to want that. Yeah, but weirdly, like, how do the Timberwolves, and maybe they they can by making a great sales pitch, but how do you really benefit from this market, you know, becoming so hard on Beasley unless unless you let let him go test it? I mean, yeah. like, you can see what other players sign for, but like, that's kind of a weird dynamic where you want to sign him before you can go negotiate with other teams to keep keep him happy but at the same time you might really like the offer sheet that he comes back with yeah i mean i think like in a vacuum that makes most the most sense i think that's what's fair Mm -hmm. but like i mean players are for lack of a better term like divas you know yeah 
And if I was if I was Malik Beasley, if I was Rich Paul, you know, I'd play the other side of the negotiation too, and and you know, try and maximize it, you know, for myself. So it's the reality of the situation is it's, it's a negotiation and it's complicated. Yeah. And and the the whole looming factor in all of this that really we don't know is what the salary cap's going to be. Mm-hmm. And and so that's why it's like. If we really want to have this conversation, it's for another day. But we got to go. All right. If the cap is this, then that, and then and then if the cap is that, you know, you kind of pyramid it out. Um, but but just from like the raw information available, like get sitting down at the negotiation table. To continue my poker analogy, like the Wolves have like a three to one chip lead on yeah. Malik and Clutch. You know, like it's it's. They're, they're, they're in a good spot. So, no, I don't know what the number is. I just, yeah. I've said this on this pod over and over again, and and people have kept trying to push up over 15 to 18, and I'm like, I don't see it in the market. I don't see it in the market. And, yeah, you can go reference me that that Buddy Heald just signed this past summer for, you know, four years, $94 million. That's like almost 25 per, and I'm saying $10 million less than Buddy Heald. Like, that seems like a massive discount. But just, yeah, I just can't not look at the market and and be like, that's what I would do. Yeah, I also think even though we like to think that that fourteen game sample size was real and was more like twenty eighteen nineteen with higher volume, like it's still fourteen games. Like Ryan Anderson had been good for years. Buddy Heald had been good for years. Like mm-hmm. it is different. And even though like that was awesome, I think that everybody involved in the negotiating probably respects the fact that. It was only 14 games and, or I don't know, hopefully, maybe, Mm -hmm. but I think that even beyond like the, the factors of the market being in the Wolves' favor, I like to look at it positively. I think there should be good blood. And I think there appears to be good blood just based on the fact that Beasley and Rosas were, were on the call together and that they were the two people on the call because I mean, the Wolves traded for him and gave what would Malik's offer sheet have looked like if he had spent the rest of this year in Denver and not played those games with the Wolves. For real, dude, like his numbers were bad in Denver this yeah, year. Yeah, totally. And he turned down, Denver offered him 330 this summer and he turned that down and that was off of his 18-19 numbers and maybe that was a too low, you know, too low of a number, whatever. But, but like he, he, the 41 games of this year, Malik was not good just on the, the raw stats. Now, I think if you actually look at the tape, you go, okay, this was weird. Michael Porter Jr. entering the situation messed up his whole sort of role, the, the rhythm sort of there. And, and Will Barton played a lot better this year. Like, so again, there, there's like, there's so many bullet points within each bullet point, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I mean, from the day, the day the Wolves traded for Malik Beasley, I wish we would have gone on the record and, and put down a number right then. I do too. Like, I just I, I don't think I would have said much more than the three thirty. No, I've been be like, well, maybe he gets more than the three thirty, but like not by much. Three thirty five. I don't know. I was I I remember thinking three thirty six because like it's oh it's got to be hard to turn down three thirty and then like take three thirty a year later. So like maybe there's just some good blood. Like we'll give you more than you got offered right. last year, but like hard to do more than that. But I just it's it's impossible to it really is impossible to put a number down unless you know what the salary cap is. But uh, what, yeah. let's say the salary cap doesn't drop to 107. Let's say it's like 112 or something like that. Do you have, like, is there a number that comes into your mind that's like a max? Like, a, oh, no, I, I couldn't do that. You know what I mean? Like, is there a number where you you're, you just shut it off? 
Well, let's say this, and I know we're to- I'm told now we're like 45 minutes in the pot, and I keep ducking the question. I will, I will, I will answer that, and it's, I will give it. Well, I it's will impossible give a to answer. But, I get it. It's just no, no, no. It, it's the this is the thing. So, so I, I'm going to say this, and I'll, I'll reserve the right to change it. I think the number, if he's you know four years, 18, four years, 18 per, so what it, that would be 472. If that's what he's demanding, then that's when I begin, if I'm Gerson Rosas, looking at the sign and trade. Yeah. Yeah. And and you and you try and pull back an asset for it. Because at some point, that's even what, yeah, it's like the Wolves have that in their corner too. Yeah, talked about because that. if they go Yeah, they're like if you don't wanna like, okay, clutch, you don't want to negotiate in good faith, like you wanna start pulling out your own set of numbers and and you know, referencing his points per game in 14 games, then like the sign and trade thing is not off the table. It shouldn't be. Like that. That is also part of the reason why the Wolves traded for him in the first place. They traded for his restricted free agency, which comes with the optionality to be able to do that. Yeah. So, so I think that's like, yeah. I, I mean, quite frankly, if it were me, like it might even be lower than that. Like once we start getting, I'll say this: once we start getting over 50, 460. Or, 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 yeah, 460, so 15 million per year. Then I'm starting thinking about the sign and trade. And if you start getting up to 18 million a year, then I'm like, yeah, this is probably going to go the, the sign and trade route. Because to your point earlier, this needs to be a positive value. This, this contract cannot be a push. And it certainly can't be a negative thing. And, and if you start thinking that close to 20 million a year has a chance at being Ryan Anderson 2.0, like, there's a lot of examples of that screwing over teams moving in the right direction. It is dangerous to have a player on your team who is a role player that is making star player money. Yep. And so, yeah, I personally, personally, I you know, I I I think I still skew on the on the lower side of it. Probably not going higher than fifteen million a year i'm uh, i'm kind of right in that boat with you i think this is like a pretty philosophical like nba team building thing in my mind i'm like yeah that whole idea of like you can't pay a fringe starter full starter level money like it's just it's that like narrow like you just have to get it right and malik beasley even though those 14 games were sweet he is so not a slam dunk right now and i I just think that if you, even if you sign him for 460, like, oh my gosh, that makes me nervous. Like, that really makes me nervous. That's your core for four years. Beasley, Russell, and Towns. And then it's your asset core for four years. It doesn't mean he's on the team for four years, but yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you you like, because then you could trade him in a year, you could trade him in, in, in two years or something like that. But yeah. Yeah, you would have to ask, what are the odds that it's over, you know, 15 and we can get surplus value back on it? Like the sign and trade route, man, for him and for Hernan Gomez, like, don't, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think we should rule that out. No, and it's interesting to think about how the same market factors might make sign and trades more or less friendly to other teams. There might be other teams who, based on their books, are looking at sign and trades. Like, this is how we're going to make our team. So few teams, right? So few teams have space. Like, so, yeah. Um, I'm sure that won't. This will not be the last time uh, we we talk about Malik Beasley's Malik Beasley Malik Beasley's. <laughs> Surprised uh, we haven't called him Michael market yet. Value. Michael yet. Yeah, that's probably coming too. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. He he's a he's a fun player. I would I would like to see the path where where it develops. We'll see because it, there's um there's multiple games going on here. There's the game. There's the X's and O's game, and and there's the salary cap game to be played. And the Wolves, you know, to move in the right direction, have to win both of those. So um he's like that's the you know right that's like the first that's the first chip you know to kind of be to be flipped over. Totally. And even I mean, even putting all that aside, I'm just. Malik Beasley's been the most fun Timberwolves player to watch for me in a little bit. Like I, I've really, really enjoyed watching him and I hope that they can, you know, keep him on terms that make sense for them. He, he busted his ass. Like he really did. And I was, I was, when I was watching the defensive stuff today, like there's clearly like foibles, but like there, a turnover would happen. He would commit a turnover. He would run back, <laughs> you know? And it's like, it's simple stuff like that. Like he, he was committed to it. he was committed to doing everything he could to get paid but he was also committed to playing hard and i think that you know what more right like that's what i would yeah. want like yeah. what more what more can you ask so exactly. um we'll see with him you can uh you can check out my article on there if you want to kind of look closer at some of these these uh these quotes from yesterday um from malik's zoom media call and and is you good good on you charlie for mentioning it is sad that Malik also did lose a family member on his side to uh, to COVID nineteen. His I know his uh, his mom's side's from Detroit, and I'm I I, get, I don't know exactly if that's what happened, but we know that Detroit was hit um, was hit pretty hard with that. So you know, prayers up to him and to everybody who's continuing to. This isn't going away. I mean, it's it's still it's still a, a battle, and it's um, you know, it becomes real when you when you like know someone or even know of someone who's really, really lost someone to that. So uh, prayers up to the Beasley family and, uh, and Charlie, you and I will be back. We'll, uh, we'll get, um, we'll get into some prospects next time. The the two of us get together, got to pick out what those, what those two are, but I appreciate you doing this Um, until next time. That's Charlie Johnson at C John's NBA. I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA. Until next time. Peace out. Feeling better, I hope it never stops, yeah Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah